Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, July 8th, 2019. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. Ashley, it's been not a, a week, but a good five days since we've done this. A ton has happened in the news, so we'll get to that. But first, how was your 4th of July weekend? It was very good. I went to the beach. I drank a lot of beer. I stayed indoors most of it because <laughs> it's hot as hell here. Yeah, now I'm back to work and, uh, you know, as rested as I ever get. So here you go. (laughs) And the U.S. Women's National Team won the World Cup on Sunday, which was quite exciting. If there was a ton of reasons, but one reason that was especially exciting is because we all got to laugh at how much of an idiot Pierce Morgan is because (laughs) he is an idiot. My favorite hobby yeah so over this week where we had some days off we had uh, still had plenty of episodes here in the feed on thursday i had an interview with uh psychic and medium thomas john about his off-broadway musical dead serious then on friday i spoke with robbie rizel about his upcoming show tuesdays at 54 with robbie rizel exclamation point then on saturday Jenna Tessa Fox spoke with the, I think it's fair to call Rita Rudner a legend, the legendary Rita Rudner on the latest episode of Spotlight. And then on This Week on Broadway, James, Peter, and Michael talked about a whole host of things. We will have links to all of that in the show notes if you want to check it out, or you can just scroll back into this podcast feed. But Ashley, like I said before, we had a ton of news that we have to talk about, but we have to start it off with sharing the sad information that performer, lyricist, and director Martin Charnin passed away at the age of 84 over the weekend. Charnin actually began his Broadway career as an actor playing Big Deal in the original production of West Side Story before, not immediately, but almost immediately, turning his attentions full-time to writing and directing. On this week on Broadway, Peter and Michael and James discussed Charnin's career and legacy in some depth, and Peter had some fantastic stories, as only Peter Felicia can have, uh, and he had a lot of great things to say about Martin uh, as a as a lyricist, because I think people don't really think of a lot of his work outside of Annie, uh, but Peter had a lot of good things to say about him and his writing, uh, so I recommend that you listen to that. But for Cliff Notes, uh, Cliff's Notes version of his career, he won the 1977 Tony Award for Best Score with Charles Strauss for their combined work on Annie. Charnin was also nominated that year for the, for directing the classic as well. He was nominated twice again in 1982 for directing and collaborating with Joel Siegel on the book for the musical The First, which also earned David Allen Greer his first Tony nomination. Charnin also earned a pair of Primetime Emmy Awards amongst five nominations, all for writing and directing variety shows in the early 70s. His other Broadway shows as a writer or director included Hotspot, La Strada, Nash at Nine, I Remember Mama, The Mad Woman of Central Park West, A Little Family Business, Cafe Crown, Sid Caesar and Company, and The Flowering Peach. Uh, as we said before, Martin Charnin was 84 years old. Godspeed. Uh, mm. Ashley, as as a redhead, do you have a particular fondness <laughs> for Annie? Yes. Annie was probably my first musical love. I watched the movie VHS growing up like it was my day job until the Into the Woods VHS took its place. And <sighs> it's such an iconic piece of theater and so influential to so many other pieces of theater. Martin's death, Tom Meehan's death a couple years ago are just huge losses to the community. And my heart, of course, goes out to his family. 
Absolutely. We're going to we're going to talk about some other redheaded icons that <laughs> later in the show we'll get there. Besides but, me. Yes, you are uh, a living legend, uh, yeah. but we'll talk about another one here in a little bit. But uh, this next bit of news, Ashley, is not nearly as sad, obviously, as Charnin's passing, but certainly sad for the crew and company of the show. As last week, Wednesday, July 3rd, another random day for a closing announcement. But we learned that the Broadway production of Pretty Woman will play its last performance on Broadway on August 18th, almost exactly 13 months after beginning performances on The Great White Way. At the time of its closing, it will have played 448 performances on Broadway and will leave vacant. The 1,235-seat Nederlander Theater, but more on that in a second, Ashley. As they announced back in May, Jillian Mueller will replace Samantha Barks as Vivian, and Brennan Hunt will replace Andy Carl as Edward beginning two weeks from today. Unfortunately, their, their time in those lead roles will be pretty short, as they will take over on July 22nd, and then they will close just a little under a month later. Now, Ashley, you know that I had practically resigned myself to the fact that the Evil Van Hova directed revival of West Side Story was going to be stuck in the 1761-seat barn of the Broadway Theater. And while Scott Rudin usually works with the Schubert organization, he has had shows that he's been the lead producer on in other uh, non-Schubert houses like the Hayes, the Walter Kerr, the O'Neill, amongst others. Um, so I wouldn't, it wouldn't be completely unrealistic for Westside to end up at the Nederlander, which I'm kind of hoping at this point happens, actually, because if you've been paying attention to social media, the Westside Story social media accounts have been very active lately with a lot of sponsored yes. posts. So I would imagine that we'll get an announcement soon, very, very soon. Yeah, I think so, too. They've had especially those very interesting, as you said, sponsored videos that have been going around. I wouldn't be surprised to see it at the Nederlander. I think it's a good fit for it. It's got kind of that good balance for a tidied up, toned down Van Hove production and also, yeah. you know, the large spectacle that is West Side Story. Yeah, at about 1,200 seats, it's a, it's a good enough size that you can make some money on a musical, mm -hmm, exactly. but it's not huge where it's going to get drowned out in a space that's way too large for it. But yeah. Okay, let's get into what's going to happen this week on our theatrical schedule. Ashley, since we have still a ton of things to talk about, I'm going to get through these pretty quickly. But uh, first up, on Monday, today, previews begin off-Broadway for The Way She Spoke, which was written by Isaac Gomez and directed by Joe Bonney, and it stars Kate Dell. Castillo. That is one of those audible productions that is going to be um, recorded for later streaming on their service. So check that out. Then tomorrow, July 9th, performances begin off-Broadway for Broadway Bounty Hunter. That show, of course, is taking place at the Greenwich House and is the next show by Joe Iconis and members of his, not literal, but figurative family. Then on Wednesday, July 10th, Promenade. Is a Promenade or Promenade? Do you know? I'm going with Promenade because it sounds fancier, but okay. it's probably Promenade. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Either one. Promenade, Promenade, Lemonade, Lemonade, whatever. Um, the latest off-center production from Encores will begin performances. It is only playing for two days, the 10th and 11th, so consider this its closing as well. Really great cast in this one, uh, so check that one out. Also on Wednesday, Not Even the Good Things, a new show will begin performances off-Broadway. It's a new play by Joseph Scott Ford. It will be coming to Theater Row. 
Then on Sunday, we have our lone major closing, other than Promenade Promenade of the week, and that'll be Burn This, which closes off-Broadway at the Hudson Theater. The show, of course, stars Adam Driver, Carrie Russell, and others. Uh, the Lanford Wilson show, I was very mixed on, despite my love for Felicity herself. Um, mm-hmm. And Brandon Uranowitz, of course, who I thought richly deserved his third Tony nomination. But if you want to see Adam Driver in all of his bigness and Carrie Russell in all of her not appropriate for a stage showness, uh, get over to the Hudson Theater before the end of the week. Okay, now we've got some things that I wanted to recommend, Ashley, uh, and we can talk about these uh, a little bit, especially this last one. But in the middle of Mm. the Women's World Cup at halftime, Disney decided that was when they were going to release the trailer, the very first trailer of their live action adaptation of Mulan. There is nary a talking dragon in sight. But there is a lot of badass sword fighting in there. Um, so I'm not sure what direction they're going to go with this one beyond this, since this is our first look. It looks very much yeah. like a uh, samurai movie is not a, the, the right word because that's Japanese and Mulan's not Japanese. Sure. But it looks like a very traditional uh, movie. It doesn't look like a musical. There was some music from the film playing underneath, so it, it very well will probably be a musical, but I don't know how much different they're going to go with this than the animated film. I do believe that they are probably going to go a little bit closer to the original myth that this is based on than maybe what right, we yeah. saw uh, in the animated version, but it looked pretty badass as far as I thought. Yeah, I mean, I'm really, really tired of the live-action Disney trend, but I watched it as soon as the match was over, and I'm really looking forward to it. I think you're right that it'll probably stay closer to the original story, and then, you know, they'll have the obligatory songs like Reflection that they'll have to have in. But yeah, no, I'm, of all the live-actions of this one being announced, I think it was the one that I was most excited to see. Yeah, because it is a story that, can do well without the magical elements Mm -hmm. that go along with it. Like you don't, you can't do beauty and the beast or little mermaid without those magical elements. Now lion King has its own magical elements, considering that these are anthropomorphized animals. Uh, but But this is one that, you know, you could play fairly realistically. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they do that, but all right, moving on. Our next recommendation is actually from one of our own Broadway radio family members. This comes from Jan Simpson's Broadway and me blog. She has her annual theater books for summer reading list that she sent out. Um, got some great stuff on here. Some things that I'm, I've never uh, heard of before, but, uh, that I'm going to have to check out one that I was very familiar with. And then we've actually talked about here on today on Broadway is the latest graphic novel of Snagglepuss and yeah. Which Snagglepuss is reimagined effectively as Tennessee Williams, um, as a homosexual playwright in the 1950s, battling the House Un-American Activities Committee. Um, so that's that's pretty interesting. There, there's also a memoir from Leonard Bernstein's daughter in there. Um, some other Tennessee Williams stuff as well. Um, so a, a, another book by Lainey Fargo called Temper, which uh, Jan equates to uh, David Ives's Venus and Fur, where there's like 
like four people who are all intertwined and they're all bisexual. So there's all these um, romantic S&M entanglements. So uh, mm. oh, <laughs> Ashley's ears picked up there. Um, right up my alley. <laughs> yeah. So um, so great things. We'll have a link to that list uh, in the show notes. But the last recommendation that I wanted to get to, Ashley, is a piece in the New York Times by Elizabeth Mendez Berry and Chi Huey Yang, which is entitled The Dominance of the White Male Critic. I thought that this was hysterical that the New York Times of all publications is <laughs> is who released this and not just from yeah. a theater perspective because literally almost all of their f- full-time critics are white men um, mm-hmm. but it, this is one of those things that is getting shared all over social media it's not that long of a read um, it, but it's really really brilliant and um, if you have a chance to take a take a take a look at it I highly recommend it yeah it's a really important piece. We need more critics of color is what it's titled, and that's for sure. More importantly, we need more mainstream critics of color. I think a lot of people outside of the journalism industry kind of take that for granted, even more so white journalists take what we have for granted, and writers of color have to work X times as hard just to be seen and to be read, at least twice as hard, and then you start adding on you know, other factors as far as sexuality and gender and ability and class. It's a difficult industry that only gets more difficult. Theater journalism specifically can feel really impossible because general publications don't want to buy pieces about theater unless there is a much larger angle. So it becomes, you know, sometimes national theater journalism is like, I want to write a show about this show, but the only way I can do it is to talk about the set design and then pitch it to an architecture magazine. <laughs> it's just really hard. And then, you know, as that's as a white writer with a lot of experience at this point. Yeah. Uh, great piece. Check that out. Um, and it doesn't necessarily exactly overlap with our first story here that I want to talk about in this final section, Ashley, but it kind of does. Mm. Um, so we're going to knock out a bunch of, of news from the past week. Ashley, feel free to jump in and comment at any point that you want to. But starting off last Wednesday, Disney announced that Halle Bailey, not to be confused with Halle Berry, which is a mistake I saw a lot of people make online, which is kind of embarrassing. Um, but Halle Bailey will be playing Ariel in the live action adaptation of The Little Mermaid. Along with her sister, Bailey is one half of the R&B duo Chloe and Halle, who were an opening act for um, a tour by some people you might have heard of, Jay-Z and Beyonce recently. Um, so definitely have some street cred there. Uh, Halle is also a series regular on Freeform's Blackish spinoff called Grownish. The announcement was celebrated online by many, many people, especially those who were familiar with with Bailey's work, which I was not one of them, to be quite honest with you. But there was a bit of seemingly contrived backlash by people who were upset, mm. Ashley, that this fictional half-fish, half-woman character whose best friends are a talking fish and a talking seagull, then who magically sacrifices her voice to grow legs, would no longer look like the Caucasian redheaded cartoon version that these ignorant people consider to be historically accurate. Yeah. Uh, so to those people, Ashley, all I have to say is be gone before someone drops a house on you too. Mm-hmm. And as a redhead with blue eyes, this is great casting and the internet can die mad is all I have to say. <laughs> there, was, uh, there was a great tweet and I'm sorry that I didn't look this up beforehand. Um, uh, maybe someone sent it to me on social media and I'll retweet it. But um a fellow ginger actually said that growing up as a redhead, Ariel really made it kind of cool to be a redhead. And, mm-hmm. and it meant a lot to this person. I don't even remember if it was a, a man or a woman, but um, 
was it, it made it cool to be redheaded. And now this person is excited to hopefully see the same things happen um, with African-American and black girls, exactly. especially because it is the legacy of that character, um, even if it is not for the same demographic of people that it was perhaps originally when the film first came out. Exactly. And it's not like the animated feature, the animated film just disappears into the void with the existence of this. We can have our cake and eat it, too. Like, yeah. mermaids aren't real. Get over it. <laughs> what? Wait, what? I know. Sorry. Sorry. Mermaids, are, mermaids aren't real, but Santa Claus is. Right. Exactly. And let's not suffer from any Sierra Bogus erasure either. So uh, oh, yeah. we, we can't forget. We can't forget Sierra. But uh, anyway, sticking with the Disney theme, Ashley, last week it was confirmed that as a part of the Disney acquisition of 21st Century Fox, Fox stage productions will be taken over by Disney Theatrical. It actually happened last Wednesday officially. That means that upcoming shows like Mrs. Doubtfire, The Devil Wears Prada, and Working Girl are all moving forward under the Disney theatrical umbrella. While that was probably to be expected if you were following the business side of that deal, this news was not expected, at least not by me, Ashley, as yesterday, Tony nominee Jeremy Pope departed the Broadway production of Ain't Too Proud, and beginning tomorrow, Jelani Remy will be taking over the role of Eddie Kendricks. Now, not only did Pope play the part in all three of the out-of-town tryouts for Ain't Too Proud, but he was also obviously nominated for his role in Choir Boy, a role which he performed up until four days before Ain't Too Proud began performances on Broadway, not began rehearsals, before uh, began performances. So he certainly deserves a break, Ashley. But I'm a little surprised. I can't imagine that he'd be leaving the show this quickly unless it was for another project, because generally, Ashley, you don't stop till you get enough. Uh, I see what you did there. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I feel like, as you said, between Choir Boy and Ain't Too Proud, with summer almost being over, uh, you know, Jeremy Pope needs a break more than anybody. So as much as I hope that he has another show lined up immediately because get him a Tony, uh, I hope he at least gets to enjoy the rest of his summer and some long-deserved time off. Yeah, I, I have no insight. I have no idea what his next job is. I would not be surprised if it was something on TV or film uh, because he definitely has the chops to do that. But I would not be surprised if it was playing another Motown legend, if you uh, can read between the lines there. But OK, moving on, Ashley, one of the shows that I am most excited about off Broadway and that I mentioned on the This Week on Broadway that you, Jan, and I did uh, a week or so ago, Adam Gwan's Scotland PA announced its cast last week, leading the musical, which is a riff on Macbeth, will be Ryan McCartan and Taylor Amon Jones as the husband and wife who run a burger joint. They will be joined by Jay Armstrong Johnson as Banco. Megan Lawrence as Macduff, Alicia Umphress as Jesse, David Rossmer as Doug, Jeb Brown as Duncan, and more. The show will begin performances off-Broadway from Roundabout on September 14th. And finally, Ashley, last Friday, news that I am sure will warm the cockles of your heart. As Cameron McIntosh announced that in honor of his 90th birthday next March, not Cameron's, the West End Theater, currently known as the Queen's Theater, will be renamed in honor of Stephen Joshua Sondheim. This will make him the only living artist to have a theater named after him in both the West End and on Broadway. And now, actually, the only thing that can make this better is if Sir Cameron would open the newly minted Sondheim Theater 
with a revival of one of the master's works, but instead the venue is the home for the long-running production of Les Miserables, which, when it reopens at the Queen, uh, will be sans turntable, which seems like a double slap in the face to all true theater lovers. It's true, but, you know, I'm petitioning to name every theater in both countries (laughs) after Sun. That's my personal endgame. So whatever they want to put in, especially, you know, if they want to put an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical into a Sondheim theater, it'll be kind of a shade and fraud for me. (laughs) Can you imagine if, like, like the woman in white gets revived at the Sondheim theater or something? Although Les Mis is never closing. uh, And despite what the internet will tell you, that was not written by Andrew Lloyd Webber, but... Uh, right. <laughs> At least Andrew Lloyd Webber has his memorial pool in Patty LaPone's house. Although she sold the house, didn't she? I, I think she don't sold know. The house. I'm gonna have to buy it. Yeah. yeah buy good, it back. Good luck and, with that. And name it name it the Sondheim pool. Yeah, there you go. You should. I like it. All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, This Is Ashley. All right. Ashley and I will be back to talk to you tomorrow. And then a return of an old favorite will be here on on Wednesday's episode. So keep an ear out for that. But have a great start to your week, everybody. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye.